Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Well, hello there, and welcome to this week's episode, where we are going to cover some unusual and usual types of good luck charms. I mean, everyone can use some good luck now and then, right? And if we can help, all the better. Hey, Deb. Hey. Anything new going on this week? No, can't say there there is. How about you? No, no. Any new mysterious gifts suddenly show up? (laughs) No, none that I've noticed. Oh, okay. That's kind of good, I guess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. As we said, we're going to talk about good luck charms. And some of the more typical types of good luck charms are things like a rabbit's foot, a four-leaf clover, horseshoes, finding a penny heads up, an I Ching Chinese coin, seeing a rainbow, and ladybugs. <laughs> it's funny. As you know, I had a pet ladybug when I was a child. Her name was Helen. And I don't remember how long I had her, but she mysteriously disappeared before we moved into a new house. Funny, huh? Anyway, I like to hear she could have been a good luck charm. One belief is that they, if they land on you and you count the spots, that will tell you how many years of good luck you will have. Another belief is if you think about what you would like to happen, it may increase your chances. Kind of like wishing on a shooting star. Yeah, I guess. And I've also heard in some cultures, if one lands on you when you first get married, it'll tell you how many children you're going to have. Oh, boy. I'm glad we didn't see one with lots of spots. Me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay, so some of the more non-typical and strange types of good luck charms are mojo bags, scarabs. Scarabs. Okay, i got to say this. We're not going to talk about scarabs because a dung beetle is a scarab. And how can anything that rolls up crap into a ball for its entire life be lucky? I don't know. So we're not even going to go there. It's so, what? <laughs> a dung beetle. It rolls up crap into balls. I've never what, heard that. That's what dung beetles do. Oh. <laughs> All right. So then we got pigs, a grisgris, amulets, talisman, and more. There are thousands of lucky charms throughout the world, and we are only going to touch on a few of them. If you have a favorite one that we didn't cover, send us an email or comment on our Facebook page and tell us about it. And I know, for the record, a grisgris is from the voodoo religion and includes such items as amulets, talisman, voodoo dolls, charms, incantations, and spells, and are all used to bring someone good luck. The voodoo doll is a grisgris, 
but can be used as a religious object or a superstitious one, depending on how the user treats it. The voodoo doll is usually a small, soft doll representing a person. Though the extent of physical detail may vary, this doll lying alone on a table is no different from any other type of doll. However, the sharp pins which accompany the doll to make it a voodoo doll. The person handling the doll has complete control over the doll and can push the pins into the entirety of its soft body, attaching strands of hair or the name of the subject to the doll. The concept rests on this body being the material incan incarnation of a person. Although religious usage of the voodoo doll uses outside spirits, this is usually done for good and well wishes. But wait, what do you mean a voodoo doll is used for good? I bet we've all seen the movies where someone sticks a pin in the doll and the person the doll represents feels the pain. Well, not exactly. When it comes to casting spells and representing a particular person for evil intent, then you would typically use a doll from folk magic and witchcraft, called by various names including a poppet, a pippy, or even a mommet. The poppets are typically what's used for evil. These dolls may be typically made from such materials as a carved root, grain, or corn shafts, a piece of fruit, paper, wax, a potato, clay, branches, or soft cloth stuffed with herbs with the intent that any actions performed upon the effigy will be transformed to the subject based on the magic or spell used. I wonder how a person affected by a voodoo spell would know they are under a spell, and, and how would they get out from under it? Well, a lot of people under a voodoo spell don't realize it. They just know something's wrong and they can't find reasons for it. Um, some people do know they're under a voodoo spell, especially if you dabble in the arts and you dabble with things like we've been known to do, or I, I do. Then you know when something weird's going on with your energy. And pretty much the only way to get out from underneath it is to find a better voodoo priestess. You know, they, they're going to have to remove it. You're not going to do it naturally. That's for sure. So I guess with that, we better get out our lucky rabbit's foot. So let's take a look at the rabbit's foot. Some believe that things like the lucky rabbit foot keychains, whether real or fake, are symbols of luck. The original legend, or one legend I should say, says that the left hind foot of a rabbit that is captured in a cemetery at night can ward off evil magic. But in my research, I found them to go way back farther than that. The origin of the rabbit's foot as a good luck charm comes from the Celts. They believed that rabbits lived so deeply underground that they had an ability to speak with the spirits from the underworld. In modern times, it is still considered lucky to carry a rabbit's foot. In any case, the rabbit's foot is dried out and preserved and carried around by gamblers and other people who believe it will bring them luck. Rabbit's feet, either authentic or imitation, are frequently sold by curio shops and in vending machines, and are also favorite prizes to give out at carnivals. You spend $4 to throw a dart and you get a 25-cent rabbit's foot. But often these rabbit's feet have been dyed various colors, and they are often turned into keychains. Few of these rabbit's feet carry any warranty concerning their provenance or any evidence that the preparers have made any effort 
to comply with any kind of rituals of the original traditions, so any belief in luck is solely on the beholder that holds the rabbit's foot. Another good luck charm emanating from the Celts culture is the four-leaf clover. It was a common belief that a four-leaf clover could help people see fairies and avoid their mischief, who were considered a common source of bad luck. The four leaves were rumored to have mystical powers representing positive attributes. Some legends attribute them to faith, hope, love, and luck, while others say they bring fame, wealth, health, and faithful love. The odds of finding a four-leaf clover is allegedly 1 in 10,000, which is why it is considered so lucky. Anyone who finds it is said to have great fortune that day. One Christian legend claims that Eve took a four-leaf clover with her after being banished from paradise to remind her of it. And four is also considered a masculine number and relates to the four sides of the cross. So some believe that the four-leaf clover is a piece of paradise or the Garden of Eden. Now me, I personally still carry one of the hundreds our son used to find in the yard all the time mm -hmm. in my wallet. I keep it there to this day. Hey, I mean... Why not take the chance, you know? Keep some luck with me. Yeah, me too. Interestingly, I read the Druids used to carry three-leaf clover or shamrock around, believing they would be able to see evil spirits coming and be able to escape in time. So if you believe in it, I guess they can also be considered good luck charms? Yes, definitely. Shamrock is a type of good luck charm. It's one that we didn't particularly cover because we did the four-leaf clovers. Mm -hmm. But a shamrock is definitely a good luck charm. But what about horseshoes? Horseshoes are one of the oldest lucky superstitions with various legends from different cultures attributing lucky powers to them. The true date of the origin of a horseshoe is still debated among scholars and archaeologists to this day, and it ranges from the ancient Druids to 400 BC, and yes, the origin game of horseshoes still is strongly debated as to its origin. They say that the game of horseshoes has been around as long as horseshoes. So, did they come from the Druids, 400 BC? We know that the Romans had them. Who knows? But here are a couple other legends as to how they became a good luck charm. One legend says that horseshoes are lucky because they are made from iron. Mischievous fairies couldn't stand a touch of iron, so they sh would shy away from the houses that had horseshoes on them. Another legend attributes lucky horseshoes to St. Dunstan. According to the legend, the devil commanded Dunstan, who was a blacksmith, to shoe his horse. Instead, Dunstan quickly nailed a horseshoe to the devil's foot. He only agreed to remove it and ease the devil's pain when he received a guarantee that the devil would stay away from any house with a horseshoe on the door. After that, any house with a horseshoe was guaranteed to be lucky, according to that legend. But what's always confused me is, is the horseshoe supposed to be facing up to catch and hold good luck, or is it to be facing down to ensure luck pours onto everyone coming to the door. I guess it's really up to you. What do you folks think? Send us your comments and let us know. Well, wouldn't it first need to catch the luck in order to pour it onto people moving through? Um, I mean, come on. 
Or, another thought, maybe you need two. One to catch, one to pour. I don't know. I guess it's like the chicken or the egg, which came first. <laughs> we, we don't know, do we? Oh, here we go. Yeah. So let's just move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. So with origins coming from India and Thailand, we have the Laughing Buddha. And from Japan, the Maniki Niko. I mention these because, well, actually, they're just cute to look at. Though the Laughing Buddha can be found in cultures all over the world, it is predominantly featured in Thailand and India and symbolizes happiness and abundance because the Laughing Buddha is never unhappy. As a result, many people bring these into their homes or businesses for merriment and good fortune. However, though many believe the luck of the Laughing Buddha is only effective is if you rub his stomach daily, always keeping a positive attitude. In addition to his prominent belly, the Laughing Buddha often bears many other features, such as five children surrounding him or a cloth bag. His pose and his items he carries determines what kind of fortune he brings people. I remember being a young tot one time, and I forget where I got it, but I, I laughed at belly of that little fat Laughing Buddha every day. So, I don't know. Maybe you think it worked. Maybe you, you don't. You rubbed it or laughed at it? I rubbed it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was superstitious as a kid, even. I rubbed that belly. I believe it. Apparently, where you place it in your home is important as well. I found that, or I've read, that some cultures say to place it in a corner facing east. They believe it, among other things, will help maintain or stimulate the energy of the room. Yeah, east is a very important direction in spirituality. Many different things are to face the east. So, yeah, that I'm not sure why that's an important direction, but it is, and I follow that myself. Okay, so now let's uh, go back to Japan. We're going to go to the Maneki Niko cat statue, and it's characterized by its waving paw. Niko means cat in Japanese, and Maneki means beckoning. If the left paw is raised, it is believed that the cat will attract customers and bring good business to the shop owners. If the right paw is raised, it's believed to attract money and prosperity, making it more the more common Maniki Niko style. The Maniki Niko can also come in many different colors. White signifies happiness. Black signifies protection. Green signifies health. And Coleco signifies extreme good luck. I'm not a big fan of cats being allergic to them, but come on, people. This thing is just downright cute. Okay, so now we got to say, how about a pig? How in the world did a pig become a good luck charm, and where in the world is this? Glückschwein is a German expression that translates to lucky pig. In Germany, pigs are associated with fertility and good luck. They are often featured on cards expressing best wishes, especially around New Year. They can also be found in candy, and there are treats shaped like pigs all over Northern Europe. Norway and Sweden also have phrases that translate to lucky pig. Another common association with pigs is wealth. People all over the world store coins in piggy banks to attract future wealth and protect their earnings. And you know, you're as happy as a pig rolling in mud when you're rich. Okay, so now we're going to portal over to Turkey where we find the origin of the Nazar. 
which is an amulet to ward off the evil eye given to you by those who do not have good intentions towards you. While you may give someone an evil eye when they annoy you, people use to take malevolent looks much more seriously, usually triggered by jealousy, and giving someone an evil eye was supposed to cause all kinds of manner of suffering, from mental illness to physical maladies. For thousands of years, people have been using evil eye talismans, or Nazar, to ward off the bad luck caused by their curses. The evil eye lucky charm takes several different forms. Some cultures use a hand with an eye in the center for protection. Others use simple blue or green beads. But some of the most popular and beautiful evil eye talismans come from Turkey. They use glass beads while alternating blue and white circles to bring others good luck. But, you know, I learned something that even certain plants, there's a type of plant that you're supposed to have in your house to ward off the evil eye. Um, I guess that's big in Brazil, from what our daughter-in-law had told me one time. So that's kind of cool. There are many more we could go over, but I think we'll end the episode on one of my personal favorites, the mojo bag. So what exactly is a mojo bag? Well, that depends on who all you ask. In hoodoo and other practices, it is an amulet consisting of a flannel bag containing one or more magical items and the color of the flannel changes for the type of luck you are conjuring. It is a prayer in a bag, or a spell that can be carried with or on the host's body. Other names for the mojo bag include a grisgris bag, a mojo hand, a toby, and a conjure bag. The word mojo also refers to magic and charms. Even though bags are the most popular mojo containers, they can also, and containers can also be gourds, bottles, shells, and any other type of container. The creation of mojo bags is an, is an esoteric system that involves sometimes housing spirits inside of bags for either protection, healing, or harm, and to consult with spirits. Other times, mojo bags are created to manifest results in a person's life, such as good luck, money, or love using herbs, incense, and other items that represent the four elements. The contents of each bag vary directly with the aim of the conjurer. For example, a mojo carried for love drawing will contain different ingredients than one for gambling, luck, or magical protection. Ingredients can include graveyard dirt, roots, herbs, animal parts, minerals, coins, hair, fingernail clippings, crystals, good luck tokens, and carved amulets. The more personalized objects are used to add extra power because of their symbolic value. Is there a significant meaning behind the type of material you use for the container, like flannel? What, what does that mean? Well, yeah, the, the use of flannel bags for mojo bags was influenced by the Pakongo people's Minkissis from Central Africa. And flannel was a material that most slaves were provided for clothing. And in hoodoo, Red symbolizes protection from evil and spiritual power. So if they were able to take material and sew a bag like they did a lot in Africa, then they would do that. Or that's why they would use a bottle or a gourd, you know, something to put it in, just something to hold it. But people could always steal a little bit of cloth from their clothes, and that's why it became a bag more than anything. Does a person have to make it for themselves to re reap any benefits? 
No, not at all. Um, you know, I've made you one. Mm-hmm. And root workers make people mojo bags all the time. Most people don't do that kind of work and don't understand how to do that kind of work. So they find a root worker or a spiritualist or a witch or something like that to make them a mojo bag. And a lot of people buy them. How would someone know if they are in receipt of a good or bad mojo bag? Not questioning you, but other people. Well, I guess it depends on whether you trust the person that's making it for you. If some stranger walks up and hands you a mojo bag and say, here, this is for good luck, I wouldn't even touch that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would jump back 10 feet and say, get away from me because I don't know them. Right. And you have to have faith in the person that's conjuring up your mojo bag for you. So I, I guess it's up to that, the faith you have in a conjurer. You know, and, and with that, the, the reason it's important is because there is a process to correctly creating a mojo bag. A ritual must be used in order to successfully prepare a mojo bag by being filled and awakened to life. This can be done by smoking incense around it and candles or maybe breathed upon to bring it to life or a combination of both. Prayers may be said and other methods may be used to accomplish this essential step. Once prepared, the mojo bag is dressed or fed with the liquid such as alcohol like whiskey or rum, perfume, water, bodily fluids, some combination of oils, herbs, and things like that. And this is typically done on a weekly basis. And the reason to feed the mojo bag is to keep it working, since it is alive with spirit. Mojos are traditionally made for an individual, so they must be concealed on the person at all times. Men usually keep the trinkets hidden in their pants pockets, while women are more prone to clip it to their bra or worn on a chain underneath their shirt. There are also com- these are also commonly pinned to their clothes below the waist, and depending on the type of mojo, the hiding place will be crucial to its success, as those who make conjure bags to carry love spells sometimes specify that that mojo must be worn next to the skin. It's also really bad luck for anybody else to see your mojo bag. You don't want to show it off, you don't want them to see it or anything else, so the mojo bags I make for myself and you and other people I use different color flannels for different purposes, just like candles or anything else. But I always put them inside a plain brown flannel velvety bag so no one knows what's inside. And inside is your colored special mojo bag. So if somebody sees it, they're not actually seeing your mojo bag. They're only seeing the container that it's in. Mm. So that way you can't lose your luck. So, Deb, what do you think? Should we post the instructions on how to create a mojo bag for good luck on the website? Yep. You think so, huh? I do. Okay. So I'll go ahead and I'll do that. And I'll post the instructions for a simple good luck mojo bag on the website. And also I'll tell you how to bring it to life and feed it. And, you know, good luck if you want to try it. And may it bring you the blessings you desire. And with that, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at 
foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode. 